Today's scripture comes from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yes, thanks be to God, indeed. Thank you so much for being here. This is the final installment of our sermon series called Strength to Love, based on the the book written by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. almost 60 years ago now. It's been a blessing to share in some of Dr. King's sermons and to share in some of his vision and to to dream together about how we make this church and this community better, more fully reflective of those around us, greater capacity for hope and healing. I'm so grateful for each of you for being part of this. I'm grateful for our brothers and sisters who were part of the Racial Reconciliation Work Group who helped give birth to the dreams that we've shared over this series. But something was very important to me. I think it it is worth your pastor standing up and talking about the reality of racial challenges that happen in our world today and the call of God on our lives to be part of the solution. But I also think that it's important to have a diverse set of voices involved in the conversation. We modeled that in the the work group that was shared together. I say all this to tell you that it seemed most fitting and most appropriate to invite a dear friend of mine to have the final say in this series. His name is Reverend Dr. Clarence Brown. He's a pastor and has been for years. Dr. Brown has served as a district superintendent, a local church pastor. He's actually served not too far from here in Annandale, Annandale and now is in the Tidewater area. He has been a friend, and though he would never be so bold as to say it, I am grateful that he has become a mentor to me as well. And so, my friends, it is with great joy I introduce a man who himself is filled with joy, a man who is funny and kind and, above all, is wise. Please join me in welcoming my friend, Reverend Dr. Clarence Brown. Grace and peace be unto you in the name of our Lord and Savior, who is Jesus Christ. I am honored to have been asked to share this morning in the riches of the gospel with you on this human relations, on this king observation, on this Sunday where we gather together to consider our common ministry. I'm thankful for you and our common ministry. For we, my friends, 
are all United Methodists, part of a larger body, a cloud of witnesses that seek to do good, to do no harm, and to stay in love with God, a community that seeks to do all that it can in all the ways that it can to love our God, to love our neighbor, and to serve God's world. So I ask that as we gather this morning, we give thanks to God for our common ministry, for we do have this ministry. And let me give a word of thanks uh, to your pastor, uh, for he and I share a wonderful relationship that has spanned the years. And I am thankful for his passion for gathering us all into what King would have called the beloved community. Let us pray. We thank you, O God, for this day when we recognize your love for all of the creation, for all people. And we pray right now that your Holy Spirit might stir within our breasts as we seek the truth of your word. And as we together consider the subject, we have this ministry. So speak now for your people are listening. Speak now because your servant is listening. In the precious and powerful and matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And the people of God all said, Amen. My friends, you have heard, read to your hearing, a passage from the Corinthian correspondence. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. I love the Corinthian correspondence. As a matter of fact, when I go to a new appointment, one of the first books of the Bible that I like to teach is the books of the Corinthians. You all are biblical scholars, and I know that you know that the Corinthian correspondence is not two letters, but many letters pasted and patched together by later editors. And it gives us a magnificent snapshot of life in the early Christian church. This is a community that the Apostle Paul had founded as he labored among the people there. It is a place where the good news of Jesus Christ has been proclaimed. It is a place where community has been formed. It is a place where bread has been broken. It is a place where wine has been poured. But as we read closely the Corinthian correspondence, as we look between the lines of the Corinthian correspondence, we begin to have questions, we begin to think, we begin to feel that something in the Corinthian community ain't quite right. Something there is wrong. And it seems as though, as we read between those lines, that the Apostle Paul is being charged with several grievous shortcomings he doesn't speak well. He doesn't preach good. He's short. He's funny looking. He lacks the spiritual credentials of the original apostles. He certainly is not a Peter. He's certainly not a James. He's certainly not an Apollos. As we read closely the Corinthian correspondence, as we look between the lines of the text, we begin to wonder, could it be 
that there were divisions in the early church? Could it be that there were differences over issues of gender? Could it be that there were differences over issues of ethnicity? Could it be that there were difficulties and differences over issues of social class? And could it be that you know a rhetorical question when you hear one? This is where you say yes. My friends, it's clear to us as we read the text closely from the charges that the Corinthians make against the Apostle Paul that they have been influenced by, had internalized, were living their lives by the standards of the culture of their times. Those standards, those cultural influences put forth rules that everyone lived by. Those rules put forth that certain things were judged by other things, that some things were better than others, that some things were superior to others. And by logical extension, if some things were superior to others, then some things were inferior to others. Some things were not liked as well. Some things were hated. Thanks, thanks be to God, some things were not appreciated. And, and, and stop me when you hear something familiar here, will you? To these things, to these cultural influences, to these standards, the Apostle Paul responds that we have a new set of rules. We have a new commission. We have a new covenant, a new frame of reference. We no longer, Paul says, regard things from a human point of view, from an earthly point of view, from a culturally conditioned point of view. Rather, through Jesus Christ, through the cross, through the resurrection, we have been given both a great gift and a greater responsibility. We have ministry of reconciliation. And you and I, we, we have this ministry. Reconciliation. As we gather this Sunday, this Human Relations Sunday, this King Observation Sunday, I would lift for us the fact that reconciliation was the central doctrine, the centerpiece, if you would, of Dr. King's theology. Oh, if you read the scholars, the scholars who have studied King have detected within King's writings Traces of Bartian dialectic, of Brightman's personalism, of Tillichian correlation. I know all of you scholars know exactly what I'm referring to. But one thing must be kept clearly in mind. And that is that Martin Luther King Jr. was a son of the black church. And the black church, you all know, 
was an institution that was born within the painful crucible of separation, rejection, and segregation. The black church was that place that was chiefly responsible for the restoration of the image of God to those who were socially, morally, and economically ripped from the shores of Africa, placed into harsh servitude, robbed of culture, language, and kinship ties. It is a place that was father to the fatherless, mother to the motherless. And it was a place where the Spirit of God anointed the faithful to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the restoration of sight to the blind, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And we have this ministry. My friends, the black church was that institution that had one singular aim from the day of its birth to the current day. And that is the liberation and restoration to the full image of God, to those who have suffered the ravages of racism, sexism, classism, and violence such as that, which we have experienced in the not too distant past. In doing so, the humanity of both the perpetrator and the victim are restored. Martin Luther King sought to bring together black and white, rich and poor, and forging a creative synthesis that he termed the beloved community. And we, you and I, we have this ministry. Dr. King saw this restoration, this reconciliation as his mission. And he located the problem of evil such as he saw it as manifested in all the isms of our day. Not so much in particular individuals, but in social structures in the normative social values that perpetuated segregation poverty, and war. In his work, Dr. King, whose intellectual curiosity was intrigued and fed by scholarship, was interested not so much in creating a new systematic theology as he was in putting the treasures and traditions of theology in service to the church. King believed, and I still do, that the church remains the preeminent vehicle to achieve reconciliation. Dr. King used faith, the substance of things uh, sought for, the evidence of things not seen, as a tool to attack the structures of evil, the structures that allow human beings to act in socially violent ways. Dr. King believed that every person, black, white, pink, purple, and polka dot, had inherent redeemable worth. And Dr. King sacrificially dedicated himself 
to that cause and to the service of people and called the church, called you, called me, called us all to that same service to the world. And we have this ministry if we authentically respond to the journey that Dr. King so willingly took. Reconciliation, there's that word, that word that we are challenged by. Since you are all biblical scholars, I know that you know that the Greek for the word katalasso denotes a change from a state of enmity to one of friendship, the healing of a broken relationship. A radical change in which an intimate and personal relationship is first established, then broken, and then renewed. There is here a suggestion that a real relationship did exist. And let us be clear that the essential meaning of reconciliation, the essential engagement of the word catalasso, points to the relationship between us and God and us with one another. The radical transformation of that relationship that has been broken by sin and by separation. And the ultimate restoration of those relationships and all of this, Paul says, is from God, the master reconciler who is entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. Yes, my friends, indeed, we have this ministry. And I don't want you to be fooled, my friends. This ministry is not for the faint of heart or for the thin of skin. This is hard work. God's tough one action item agenda of reconciliation is replete with detours, dashed dreams, and dead ends. And I would share with you this morning, but a few. First, due to historical patterns of racial and social and residential segregation, we have been isolated and separated from one another. This separation has forged a certain we-they frame of mind amongst us. Our values, our commonality is not engaged when we are separated from one another. I can't tell you the number of times I've had a well-meaning colleague come up to me and say, you people... You people could certainly teach us something about worship. You people really enjoy yourselves when you go to worship. You, you people. This tells me that even as Christians, we don't have a clue about how we individually and separately see the world. Our frames of reference, our value systems have been developed in isolation our differing ways of experiencing and thereby interpreting the world 
are based on our race, based on our gender, based on our nationality, based on our culture, based on economics, and a host of other factors. And when our experiences do not intersect, isolation results in isolation is one of the major roadblocks to reconciliation. Yet, we have this ministry. Injustice, a word we hear a lot of in our day and time, is another strong impediment to our coming together and plays a major role in our social and residential isolation that we must somehow overcome. Systematic injustice is at the heart of our social inequities. Injustice determines where people may live, where people may work, where people may play, where people may live their lives out. Who makes decisions that affect people's lives? What sort of education people might expect to receive and what people may dare to hope for in life? This barrier is insidious because many of us are so socially unaware of it. We inherit it. Our respective positions on an uneven playing field influence our need for the reconciliation, and yet, my friends, we still have this ministry. And exhaustion. I don't know about you, but there are several times along this journey when I have just been flat tired, feel too weakened by the constant onslaught of it to be able to stand up and respond. I have seen this movie before, many say. I don't have great hope for how things are going to turn out. But my friends, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit and spiritual renewal and trust in the Christ that leads us ever into the fray. We have this ministry. So, you may ask, Clarence, how, how is this done? How is this great ministry, how is reconciliation accomplished? Well, uh, I, I, I don't know, but I sometimes liken it to the difference between watercress and chitlins. What do you mean, Clarence? I'm glad you asked me. Now, I know why black folk like chitlins. I am sometimes mystified at why white folks like watercress, but... I can tell you why we like chitlins. Why is that? It is because there was a time in our history when African Americans couldn't get nothing else to eat. The ham, the bacon, the tenderloins, all of that went to the big house and everything that was left over went down to the slave quarters. All that was left over were the seemingly inedible intestines of the pig. But my people ate them and they survived. And that's why every January 1st, you will find me at somebody's table with a plate of chitlins, collard greens, black eyed peas, macaroni and cheese, cornbread, hallelujah, and hot sauce. For you see, that meal, that meal, that meal is more than just good eating. That meal has an almost sacramental importance. It has meaning. 
as much meaning as when we gather as the church militant and the church triumphant at the table of the Lord, at the Eucharistic Supper, where we are called to remember and give thanks. And it is there what we discover the meaning is our first task of getting to know one another as we approach the ministry of reconciliation. We must discover each other's meanings. We must discover why our heritage and our tradition are so important to us, the signs and the symbols that guide us along life's journey. And then when we have discovered those meanings, we must do the work of appreciating those meanings. And then we must do the most important work, which is creating new shared meanings. I think this is what Paul is referring to when he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And from there, my friends, we move outward to reconcile neighborhoods, communities, cities, states, nations, and ultimately the world. And we have this ministry. Oh, yes, my friends, we have been granted both the great privilege and the greater responsibility to enter into partnership with God as God presses the divine one item agenda, that of reconciliation. But we cannot do it apart from the one who calls us to table, the same table where chitlin and watercress, bread and wine are served, where grace is abundant, where we stand and we sing on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is seeking sand. In Christ, there is no east or west, no north and south. In Christ, if I had 10,000 tongues, I could not thank God enough for the ministry that he has given to us. If I were Chinese, I'd say Odia. If I were Danish, I'd say Mingatong. If I were Italian, I'd say Grazi. If I were French, I'd say Merci beaucoup. But since I am who I am, and since we are who we are, we can only stand together hand in hand. And say, thank you, God, for this ministry you have called us to. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And the people of God at Ebenezer all said, Amen.